As the Lord has called us to worship for the second time today, let us confess together. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth, who keeps truth forever, and who never forsakes the works of his hands. Amen. Receive now the greeting of the Lord. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, in communion with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us continue our worship congregation with singing Psalter 408. 408 will sing the first two verses. Scripture reading this afternoon comes from two places. First of all, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and then we'll turn to Acts 22 and read the first 21 verses. Our focus this afternoon in connection with the Heidelberg Catechism, where we're at there, is on baptism. And so after the scripture reading, we'll turn to page 55 in the back of our Psalters. First of all, Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. This is the word of God. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And turning to Acts chapter 22, here we have Paul having just been 
caught, if, if you will, by the Jews in Jerusalem, and the commander has, has come, the commander, Roman commander, has come and taken him, and he's asked permission of the commander to speak to the Jews there. And so we'll read the first 21 verses. <clears throat> and I just want to draw your attention especially to verse 16. So chapter 22, verse 1. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the, unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem, for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee, that thou shouldst know his will, and see that just one, and shouldst hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. So far the reading of God's holy an infallible word. If you will now turn with me to the back of our Psalters, page 55. Page 55. We're going to read Lord's Day 26 and also part of Lord's Day 27, questions 72 and 73. As we read these question and answers, just 
want to draw your attention, I think it's important to realize that the, the answers are written from the perspective of a believer. And so that, that can help clarify some confusion that might otherwise arise. So question 69, Lord's Day 26. How are you admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ upon the cross is of real advantage to you? Answer thus, that Christ appointed this external washing with water, adding thereto this promise, that I am as certainly washed by his blood and spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water, by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. Question 70. What is it to be washed with the blood and spirit of Christ? It is to receive of God the remission of sins freely, for the sake of Christ's blood, which he shed for us by his sacrifice upon the cross, and also to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, and sanctified to be members of Christ, that so we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. Where has Christ promised us that he will as certainly wash us by his blood and spirit as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, which is thus expressed, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believes not shall be damned. This promise is also repeated where the scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Lord's Day 27, question 72. Is then the external baptism with water the washing away of sin itself? Answer, not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Ghost cleanse us from all sin. Why then does the Holy Ghost call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? Answer, God speaks thus not without great cause, to wit, not only thereby to teach us that as the filth of the body is purged away by water, so our sins are removed by the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ, but especially that by this divine and pledge and sign, he may assure us that we are spiritually cleansed from our sins, as really as we are externally washed with water. Let us sing now in response to the reading of Scripture and the summary of it, also given in Lord's Days 26 and 27, Psalter 280. In 280, we'll sing all the verses.
now confess our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. And so I invite you to say with me in your heart, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now come before the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. A couple of announcements. First is that Pastor Tim Bergsma declined the call that he had received to Bowmanville United Reformed Church. And then, uh, so remember him and give thanks that the Lord gave him clarity. And pray for blessing on him in his ministry in Chatham. Then we'll also remember uh, Roy and Joanne Gendristen and their family as Joanne's mom, Judith Overeem, it seems, is on her deathbed. So we remember them in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, our God, God of creation, God of providence, God of salvation, God of grace, and God of glory, we come before you again this afternoon to seek your face and, and become not in our own name, we come in the name of your own dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. And we come because, O oh Lord, you have revealed in your word that in and through Christ your throne is a throne of grace, where we may find help, where we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And, and so, Lord, we, we come for that very reason, and we come encouraged then, even as we come humbly, we come to give thanks, O Lord, for your loving kindness and your mercies toward us. We just sang of the tender mercies of our God, of how though we oft have sinned against you, yet you show grace and mercy to us again and again, and you forgive us, and you cleanse us, and you wash us. And, O Lord, how many blessings you give us, not only spiritual blessings, but also physical and material blessings. We thank you for this day. We give thanks for the food and drink that we could enjoy. We give thanks for the clothing and the shelter that we may have. We give thanks for family. We give thanks for friends. We give thanks for church family. For the opportunity to talk together also this morning and, and talk together of the things of Christ. To encourage each other in the ways of, of the Lord. And Lord, we acknowledge that these are all blessings from your hand, given to us, not because we are worthy, but all for the sake and in and through and because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We give thanks for your words and for the opportunity that we may have to worship you a second time this afternoon and, and to be fed from your word, the word that is read, the word that is sung, and the word that is preached. How good you are. We've heard something of your care for us this morning. But who can tell? Who can understand? Who can comprehend the love of Christ? The depth and the length 
the width and the height of the love of Christ, it passes knowledge. Lord, we, we confess our weakness of faith, our tendency to doubt, our tendency so often to rely on ourselves instead of, instead of relying fully on, on you. We confess, O oh Lord, our, how often we spend money, we spend wa- our wages, we spend our time on things that are not bread, on things that don't satisfy. When we have in your word the promise of full satisfaction in and through Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, you have given us so much, so many promises to work faith in our hearts to encourage faith to revive faith and not only that but you've also given us the gift of baptism which we can focus on this afternoon to further encourage us and strengthen us in our faith so lord we pray as we come to this topic because we come to this subject that you would give us you would help us to understand what you meant baptism to be for that Lord, you would give understanding in our minds and that we would appreciate the gift that you have given in baptism. We confess, O oh Lord, that there, there is so much division in the Christian church even on this issue, on baptism, and we need your clarity. We need humility and submission to your word. We need the Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to enlighten our understanding and we need humility also to hold our convictions with, 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 with love also for our brothers and sisters in Christ who may disagree with us on some of the, the points in regards to this issue. And so we pray for that. We pray for the firmness that we need to have for our convictions of you, on your word, but also the love and the grace that we would show to those who, who differ and yet who hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray also, as we, as we pray and intercede for the various needs, we pray for those in our congregation going through difficult times. And we think especially of, of Joanne and, and Roy and the family, as Joanne's mom is, seems to be on her deathbed in her last hours of this life. Father, we pray for her. We pray that you would be near to her. And in her need and that you would be her savior and be her guide even through death and we pray for the family that you would give them strength and, and comfort as they humanly speaking say their goodbyes and in the coming days maybe or who knows when but may, may grieve and mourn we pray for your comfort and your help also for them we pray too O Lord for our brothers and sisters who are afflicted. We spoke about them this, this morning. We mentioned some of the countries in which this happens, where there is persecution to, to a severe extent even. We mentioned China. We mentioned North Korea. We, we mentioned Nigeria. But there are many other places in this world where to confess Christ, to confess faith in Christ, to make a stand to, for Him, is literally risking their lives. And, and so, Lord, we pray for them. 
We pray that in their affliction, that in their oppressions, that in their, all of their dangers, they would find comfort in the fact that you do know their sorrows and in the fact that you have prepared a salvation for your people that no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man to conceive, that their hope would be firm, that they would hold fast to their confession. And so we pray, O oh God, that you would strengthen and uphold them, uphold and remember your people, and grant, Lord, also relief, too, from the persecution, or how long it can go on, they can be afflicted for year after year after year and it can be, it can be discouraging and, and so, so hard. And so we pray for them, Lord, that even if it be your will, that the persecution would, would stop and, and, and cease. That they, have may pe- they, they may have peace. And as we read of also in the book of Acts, that when your church had peace, they were, they were edified. They were built up in the faith and strengthened. And so we pray for that. We pray, O oh God, for your Holy Spirit to, to be with them, to strengthen them. We pray for places in the world where there is war. We think of the situation in Israel and Gaza. We think of the situation that's been going on for a couple of years even that we've maybe neglected to pray for as often as we should of the situation in Russia and Ukraine. We, we pray for other places, O oh Lord, where there is war, where there is trouble in different ways. And we pray for your mercy upon this world and we pray for your mercy also upon your people oh God and for peace we pray for wisdom for leaders we pray for justice for those who do evil we pray especially that the gospel would would be proclaimed throughout this world and that people may be brought to Jesus Christ because it is only in Jesus Christ that we can truly become united as we lose ourselves in him and so we pray for the cause of the gospel we pray for all missionaries as they bring your word and labor to to translate it or to proclaim it or to uh, support the, the spread of your word in different ways we ask that you would bless it all for the extension of your kingdom for the glory of your name and for the conversion of sinners Lord, we pray for more laborers, also, also from among us, Lord, that the harvest is ripe, you have said in your word, and the laborers are few, and, and that is true also here in our, in our area, in our country, in our nation, and we think of even our own denomination, how, how many pulpits are, are vacant, and there are other denominations too, O oh Lord, and, and how much need there is to go out into the world, into the community, and proclaim the gospel, that the gospel would be heard by people who have never heard, even in our own nation. And so we pray that you would, you would call men, you would call, Lord, that they would go forth and that they would labor faithfully, and, and that many more would be brought in into that feast that you have called sinners to. We pray, God, for... In Thanksgiving, that you inclined uh, Pastor Tim Bergsma to stay in, in Chatham, Free Reformed Church, and we pray that you will continue then to bless his ministry, continue to confirm his decision, and, and bless him and his congregation. Be, be with the congregation in Bowmanville that received the, the news of decline, Lord, we pray that you would provide for them also a faithful servant after your own heart. And so we pray, O oh God, for your blessing on all of these things. 
We ask that you would also remember, as we have in the bulletin mentioned, our sister to, to Johan and also to Jenny, Lord, uh, Corey Van Manen, we pray that you would remember her in Israel too as she has decided to stay there. We pray for safety for her. And Lord, that you would protect her and bless the work that she does, that she might continue to be a blessing uh, to those there who are in various needs. Lord, we ask now for your blessing, for your spirit to be with us and again to enlighten us, give us understanding, give us clarity in speaking and in hearing. Give us ears to hear, O Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You now have opportunity to give your gifts and tithes for the cause of God's church and kingdom. And then we'll sing Psalter 143, 143, all the verses.
beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if there's one thing that we've all done this past week, it's this. We've gotten dirty. You've gotten dirty. I've gotten dirty. We've all gotten dirty. Also, you children, you've gotten dirty too. That's why your mom or dad tells you to wash your hands. That's why we, we had baths or, or showers. It's, it's because we get dirty and we need the dirt to be washed away. We've all gotten dirty. But that's not just true physically. It's also true spiritually. We've all gotten spiritually dirty this past week. What am I talking about? Do you know, children? I'm talking about sin. We've all sinned in different ways at different times. We've all gotten spiritually dirty. In fact, that, that is actually what we are left to ourselves. That's how we're conceived and born. We just confess that together in the Psalter we sang based on Psalm 51. Behold, in evil I was formed. And I was born in sin. So the problem isn't just that we've gotten dirty. The problem is that by nature, we are dirty. And if we are to be righteous before God, if we are to be accepted by Him who is pure, who is holy, we all then need the dirt, the dirt of our sins and our sinfulness to be washed away. But how is our sin washed away. How can we be made spiritually clean? How can we be spiritually washed? Well, God tells us in His Word, doesn't He? It's by the blood and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the way our sins are washed away. That's the way we are made spiritually clean. Let me just mention two verses to show that to you. The first one is 1 John 1, verse 7. It says there that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's 1 John 1 verse 7. And the second one is this, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11. Paul says, speaking of the Corinthian believers, he says, You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So God tells us in His Word that the way to be washed is by the blood and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. But He doesn't just say it in His Word. He also illustrates that to us. He, he signs and seals it to us in baptism. And that's the topic we, we hope to consider from Scripture this afternoon, the topic of baptism. We hope to do this over two sermons, as I mentioned in my note in the bulletin and and as we start on this, these sermons, just by the way, I, I know this topic can raise a lot of questions. And so I want you to, to know that you are, should feel free to reach out to me with any questions you may have. I, I will do my best to, to answer them as well as I can. I cannot promise that I will answer them to your satisfaction, but I will do my best. So today, in, in light of the Scripture's teaching on baptism, including especially in the passages we read, our focus will be on what is baptism and, and what it's all about. Our theme is baptism, the Lord's sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. 
That's really just a summary of the main point of this sermon. Baptism is the Lord's sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. We'll see that under three headings. First of all, it's divinely appointed practice. Secondly, it's divinely attached promise. And thirdly, it's divinely affirmed purpose. So let's start, first of all, with considering its divinely appointed practice. The Lord himself commands his people to practice baptism in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. We read that earlier. The resurrected Christ is is speaking to his disciples there, and he says to them in verse 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is Christ's charge to his disciples, to his apostles. This is what they are to do. And by implication, this is what the church is to do until the end of the world, until he comes again. The church's primary task is to teach, to make disciples of all nations. But it must also baptize those disciples. That's the Lord's command. In other words, baptizing is a divinely appointed practice for Christ's church to the end of the world. But that means, congregation, that that we need to understand what it is. What, What is baptism? The Lord doesn't explain it here in Matthew 28. He expected his disciples, his apostles, to know what he meant. He expected them to know what he was talking about. But what did he mean? What was he appointing? Well, it's clear from the rest of the New Testament that when he appointed baptism, he was speaking about, to use the words of answer 69, an external or outward washing with water. The Bible also speaks about other kinds of baptism. You can think of the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But, But here Jesus is referring to an outward washing with water. That's what baptism typically refers to. Maybe children, you know the story of Naaman, the leper in the, in the Old Testament. You remember what Elisha told Naaman, what he told Naaman to do when he came to him for cleansing from his leprosy. He told him to go and, and to wash in the Jordan River seven times. And you know what, what Naaman did. He, he got angry, didn't he? He refused to go. But, but eventually his servants, they, they convinced him to, to go and do it. And, and so he did. And, and, and the Bible says that he, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan and he was healed. He was cleansed. But here, here's the point. In the Greek Old Testament, that word dipped, which is the Old Testament that many of the Jews in Jesus' day would have known, that word dipped is the word baptized. So, so Naaman baptized himself. And the, and the Bible clearly presents that as doing what Elisha had told him to do, which was what? Go and wash. The point is, that's what baptizing most commonly referred to. It referred, refers to an external or outward washing with water. We, we see that with John the Baptist in the first pages of, of Matthew. He baptized, meaning he, he washed people with water. That is what the Lord commands his church to do. He commands his church to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, externally washing them with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We know that because that's what the church did. 
They made Christian disciples by teaching and preaching Christ and the Spirit blessing that preaching so that sinners were brought to faith in Jesus. And then they baptized them. They baptized those disciples. When the people who were convicted by Peter's sermon in Acts 2 asked what they should do at Pentecost, Peter said in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And that's what happened. Verse 41 says that they that gladly received his word were baptized. That means they were washed with water. It doesn't doesn't speak about water specifically in in Acts 2, but it's clear from other passages. For example, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. When Philip went up into his chariot and preached Jesus to him from Isaiah 53, what happened? The Ethiopian eunuch believed And it says in verse 36 that that as they were going on their way, as they were in this this chariot and riding on the road, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Philip washed the eunuch with water. Peter did the same thing in Acts 10, verses 47 to 48, when Cornelius and his family and friends believed the gospel and the Holy Spirit had fallen upon them. Verse 47 says that Peter said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized, to be washed with water in the name of the Lord. Why? Because Christ had commanded them to do that. Christ appointed this external washing with water for his church. So if there's no water, there's no baptism. Some of you may know that my opa, my grandfather, was a pastor. He apparently apparently administered baptism to me when when I was a baby. But but at the time, he was just starting, or, or maybe somewhat along the way, but he was getting Alzheimer's. And I'm told he actually forgot the water. My dad had to, had to say to him, Dad, you need, to, you need to use the water. You need to put water on, on him. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been really baptized. The point is, the water is important. When Christ appointed baptism, he appointed an outward washing with water. Now, some of you are hearing this, and you're thinking, okay, what's new? Why make this a big point? Well, because even if we know this already, it's important to be reminded it's important that we all, including our children with us here, they, they understand, they, they, it's, under, it's important that they be clear, that we be clear that baptism is an outward washing with water and it's a divinely appointed practice. That's why we do it. We don't do it because it's cute. We don't do it because it's tradition. We don't do it because we think it's a good idea. We don't even do it because the church tells us to do it. We do it because the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is the king of his church, told us to do it. That's why we sometimes call it holy baptism. Not because the water itself is somehow holy or special. It's just plain, ordinary water. But we call it holy baptism because Christ has appointed this external washing with water for his church. Okay, but what's the point? What's it, what's it all about? Well, that brings us to our second heading. Baptism's divinely attached promise. See, Christ didn't just appoint this outward washing with water as a sort of meaningless, empty ritual. 
but he attached a promise to it. What is that promise? It's the promise of the washing away of our sins. Now, that's not clearly, explicitly said in Matthew 28, although it is implied. But there are other passages that make this more clear. In question and answer 71, refers to some of them. You can think of Mark 16, verse 16, where Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Christ adds a promise to baptism here, a promise of salvation, which, as we, as we sang from Psalm 51, also it, it's washing away of sins and, and baptism. They, they really amount to the, to the or, or washing away of the sins and, and salvation really amount to the same thing. And in Acts 2, verse 38, Peter says something similar. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for or into the remission or forgiveness of sins. Do you see it? There's a promise attached to baptism. The promise of the forgiveness, of the washing away of sins. Christ adds, He attaches this promise to baptism, not apart from believing, not apart from repentance, but nevertheless a promise, the promise of salvation, of forgiveness, of the washing away of our sins. That's why Ananias told Paul in, in Acts twenty two sixteen, after he had been just converted on the road to Damascus, Ananias said, said to him, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. He connects them, you see. Why? Because Christ has attached the promise of the washing away of our sins to baptism, to this outward washing with water. And that's why when question 69 asks the believer, how are you admonished and assured by holy baptism that the one sacrifice of Christ is of real advantage to you? The believer answers thus, that Christ appointed this external, this outward washing with water, adding thereto this promise that I am as certainly washed by His blood and Spirit from all the pollution of my soul, that is, from all my sins, as I am washed externally with water by which the filthiness of the body is commonly washed away. So what does that mean? It means that when someone is baptized, they're not just externally, outwardly washed with water, they are given a promise. A promise of the washing away of all their sins. And again, that's not apart from repentance and faith. But the point is, that's what baptism is primarily all about. Even, even the fact that baptism is, refers to washing with water points to that. Because water is used for washing. And, and the Bible constantly and over and over again uses that image of washing to speak about our salvation, our inward, our inward cleansing from sin. So Christ in his word has attached to baptism the promise of the washing away of our sins. And that's why congregation baptism, baptism is such a precious and great gift. Think about it. Think with me about what a glorious promise this is. The promise of the washing away of our sins. It's a promise of free and full forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Just think back to Acts 22 for a moment and and try and put yourself in in Paul's shoes. Imagine you were him. What what does Paul say? What what does he confess that he did? did? We we read some of it earlier in in Acts 22. He, He says that he had imprisoned and beat in every synagogue those who believed in Christ. He had even stood by when the blood of Stephen 
Thy martyr, the, the Christ's martyr, the Lord's martyr, the first Christian martyr was being shed. He had consented to his death. He had helped to murder him by holding the coats of those who were stoning him. What a sinner Paul was. He says later in 1 Timothy 1 verse 13 that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an injurious or a violent and an arrogant person. He even calls himself the chief of sinners. He knew how much wickedness he had committed thinking the whole time that he, he was serving God. But, but then the Lord Jesus had stopped him in his tracks, blinding him in his grace, blinding him with his glory and saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He uncovered Paul's sin and he converted him. And then he told Saul or Paul to go into Damascus and he would be told what he must do. So again, just imagine, imagine yourself. You go into Damascus. You've done all these things and you've been confronted by the reality of what you were actually doing. Persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You go into Damascus, you're still blind. And for three days, nothing happens. For three days, Paul remained blind, Acts 9 tells us. And he did not eat or drink, he just prayed. And we don't know what he all thought about. We don't know what he prayed about during that time. But just imagine if you were him. Don't you think the memory of all his horrible sins, of all that he had been planning to do in Damascus, and all that he had done in all other places, don't you think it must have bothered him as he sat there in darkness? Don't you think he might have wondered if if God would or, or had really forgiven him? His sin ever before him, as we, we sang. Then after three days, Ananias comes to him, and through him, Paul receives his sight. And then after telling him that God has chosen him to be Christ's witness, Ananias says this, And now, why tarriest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, how wonderful those words must have sounded to Paul. Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. What? What? My sins? My persecution of Jesus Christ? All my sins can be washed away? They can be forgiven? Yes, Paul. Through faith in Christ, calling on the name of the Lord, your sins are all washed away. That means you're completely and you're freely forgiven. That's God's promise. The promise Christ attaches to your baptism. Oh, what a relief, what a blessed comfort Paul's baptism must have been to him because of that promise of the washing away of our sins attached to it. It's the promise of free and full forgiveness. And congregation, that same promise is attached to your baptism. The promise of the forgiveness of all your sins for Christ's sake through faith in him. It's a promise that is revealed in God's word. Whoever believes in Christ shall receive the forgiveness of sins. But when you've been baptized, that promise, that promise is more personal. In baptism, God himself comes down. He comes down to you, as it were, and he says to you personally, I'm giving you my promise. I'm promising you that you will receive from me the remission, the forgiveness of sins freely, to use the words of answer 70. 
for the sake of Christ's blood, which he shed for us, for his people, by his sacrifice on the cross. What a promise that is. That's why your baptism should be a comfort to you, dear baptized believer. When you struggle with the memory of past sin, when your sin is ever before you, when you wonder sometimes if you've really been forgiven, or when even as a Christian you've given in to temptation, you looked at a picture you shouldn't have, or you lost your temper, or you complained about something, and you're convicted, and you're ashamed, and you wonder if it's all over. Maybe God won't forgive me anymore. Has he cast me, has he cast me from his sight forever? Oh, beloved, then think about, then remember your baptism and his divinely attached promise, because baptism comes with this promise, the promise of free and full forgiveness for Christ's sake through faith in him. That should make a baptism Baptism a comfort to you who are baptized believers. But what about if you are here as a baptized unbeliever? As someone who is not trusting in Jesus Christ? You know. You know you need God's forgiveness. Deep down you know it. You know that you are filthy. You know that you're spiritually dirty, that you are a sinner before God, that you need to be saved and forgiven. But maybe you don't dare believe that Jesus is willing to save you or that he can forgive you for all that you've done. It's a lie. Remember your baptism. Christ has given you his promise that through faith in him you shall be saved. You shall be forgiven. He's not only revealed that promise in his word generally to all who hear the gospel. He's attached it to your baptism. He's addressed it to you personally. And he never breaks his promise. Well then let your baptism be an encouragement to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith to come to him pleading that promise of forgiveness and to cast yourself on him. He will keep his promise. He will wash your sins away. He will forgive all of them even the ones you think he can't or he won't. That is the promise Christ is attached to baptism. But there's even more. There's even more. The promise of the, the washing away of our sins, the promise he's attached to our baptism doesn't just refer to forgiveness. It doesn't just refer to being justified, being declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ by his blood. It refers to being sanctified. Being made increasingly holy by his spirit. Paul speaks of sanctification that way in, in Ephesians 5 as a washing away uh, of sins. He says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You, do you see what it's saying, congregation? When Christ died for his people, when he gave himself for his church, he did that not just so that they could be forgiven. He did that so that he might sanctify them, so that he might cleanse them with the washing of water by the word. 
To be washed for our sin, from our sins means not only to be forgiven for Christ's sake, it means also, as answer 7, he goes on to say, to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that we may more and more die unto sin and lead holy and unblameable lives. That's why Christ gave himself for us. So he might make us holy by his spirit and word. So that he might conform us to the image of himself. So that he might make us pure like himself. That's his purpose. That's his goal. That's what he's working towards. And he will do it. Do you remember what what Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6? He who began a good work in you will what? Will what? will perform it. He will complete it. He will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That is also part of the promise that Christ has attached to our baptism. Through faith, he will renew us and sanctify us so that we become like him. What a promise that is. What a promise Christ has attached to our baptism, beloved. Do you see that with me? What an encouragement this promise is as we run the race, as we fight the good fight of faith, as we strive and we struggle against sin. As sin battles hard against you, dear baptized believer, and you become weary sometimes of the battle, and you wonder if you'll ever make it, if you'll ever overcome, then remember His promise. Remember His promise to make you holy, to conform you to the image of Himself, to finish the good work that He has begun. That's His promise, revealed in His Word to all who look to Him in faith, and it's that promise that He has attached to your baptism and addressed to you personally. It's a promise that He will never give up on you. Remember that promise. Plead on it. Rely on it. What a glorious promise Christ has attached to baptism. It's really a promise of full salvation, isn't it? That's why baptism is such a great and precious gift. Do you see that? What an encouragement baptism is to faith in Christ. But how sad then, how foolish, how wicked it really is when you've been baptized and you've received that promise from God given and addressed to you, but you don't respond in faith. You don't respond in repentance. Instead, you ignore God. You ignore His his promises. You ignore His blessings. Oh, what a sad thing. What a terrible end will come to if you continue in that way. In the words of Hebrews, how shall you escape if you neglect so great salvation? Salvation that came so close to you, that God promised to you in baptism. Oh, that no one here, that no one here, younger or older, continue in unbelief. Christ is able and willing to save anyone. He does not desire the death of the wicked, but that they should turn from their ways and live. That's what your baptism says. Well, then repent. Turn away from your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cast yourself on Him. Trust in Him, and you shall be saved. That's His promise. That's the promise He's attached to baptism. 
Maybe you're thinking, well, what does that mean? Does it, does it mean that baptism itself saves us? And that's a good question. And it brings us to our third heading. Our theme, remember, is baptism, the Lord's sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. We've, we've seen its divinely attached practice, its, or appointed practice, and its divinely attached promise. But now we want to consider its divinely affirmed p- purpose. What is the purpose of baptism? Does the promise that Christ has attached to baptism, the promise of the washing away of our sins, mean that baptism itself saves us? In the Bible, it can, it can sometimes sound like that's what it means. You take Acts 22, which we read earlier again. Ananias commands Paul to be baptized and wash away his sins. So does that mean that baptism is actually the washing away of sin? So question 72 asks, is the Outward, external baptism with water, the washing away of sin itself. Beloved, the Catechism gives a clear, biblical answer to that question. Not at all. For the blood of Jesus Christ only and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sin. The Bible is crystal clear on that point. If you don't yet see that, then please reach out to me and I'll, I'll try to help you to see it. What does that mean then? It means that baptism cannot and does not save us. It doesn't. We have a clear biblical example of that in in Acts 8 with Simon the sorcerer. The Bible says that he believed and was baptized. But then when he tried to buy the power of of Peter and John, when he tried to buy the power to give the Holy Spirit, Peter told him his heart wasn't right in the sight of God. His faith was not real. He wasn't truly saved. Baptism doesn't save us. But then why does Acts 22, verse 16 and some other passages make it sound like it does? In the words of question 73, why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing away of regeneration and the washing away of sins? If baptism doesn't actually do that, then what is the point? What is its purpose? Well, this really goes back to last week. What are the sacraments? What are the sacraments? They are signs and seals appointed by God. Do you remember, children, what signs and seals are? A sign is is like an illustration. It's a picture to help us better understand something. It's like an illustration in a book. I mentioned that last week. It helps you to understand what the words are saying. That's what baptism does. It illustrates, it pictures for us what God means by His promise in His Word to, to wash away our sins. When you see someone being baptized with, with water, it's a picture. It's an outward sign of the inward washing away of our sins by Christ's blood and Spirit. The washing away of our sins that God has promised to all who believe in Him. But, but what is a seal then? Remember what a seal does. It confirms something to be real, to be true, to be trustworthy. Like a government seal that's stamped on a, on a birth certificate. That seal confirms the birth certificate is true. It's not forged. It's trustworthy. And that's what baptism is to God's promise of the washing away of our sins. It's like a seal that's stamped on to that promise. It tells you His promise is true. It's real. It's trustworthy. It assures you that you can bank on that promise. It's 100% reliable. And that is the purpose, congregation of baptism, to be a sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. 
It really has the same purpose as circumcision did in the Old Testament. What was the primary purpose of circumcision? Of the cutting off of the male's foreskin. Well, Paul speaks about it in Romans 4, verse 11. In Romans 4, Paul's reinforcing his point that we are justified, we are declared righteous by faith and not by works. And he, he uses a circumcision of Abraham as proof. Why? Because Abraham was circumcised after he believed and was declared righteous before God. Right? So he's, he's, he's making the point. Circumcision didn't save Abraham. It was through faith that he was saved. But what was, what was the purpose of circumcision then? Romans 4 verse 11. Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. In other words, the purpose of circumcision was not to save, but to act as the sign and seal of the righteousness that God gives, that he imputes, he accounts to every believer. That was the purpose of Abraham's circumcision. And just by the way, that was the purpose of every Israelite circumcision, including the circumcision of those who were only eight days old. And even the circumcision of those who did not ever believe. Baptism is essentially the sign and seal of the exact same thing. There is no essential difference between being justified and declared righteous before God and having our sins washed away and forgiven. It amounts to the same thing. And so whether you think Colossians 2 teaches that baptism actually replaces circumcision or not, Romans 4 clearly shows us that New Testament baptism and Old Testament circumcision have the same primary purpose or function to sign and seal the washing away of our sins. The righteousness that God gives to all who believe. But why then does the Bible sometimes seem to identify baptism with the actual washing away of sin? Well, for one thing, it stresses the importance of baptism, doesn't it? It's not necessary for salvation, but it is important. We shouldn't carelessly neglect or delay it. But it also speaks that way to underscore for us as as, as question and answer 73 speak about, to underscore for us, to teach us, to remind us that the way of cleansing from our sin is found outside of ourselves, in the blood and in the spirit of Christ, just like the way to be washed, to be cleansed from outward dirt is outside of yourself by the water that you are washed with. And it speaks especially, it, spe it speaks that way especially to assure you, dear believer, of the reality of your salvation, through faith. Even when you don't feel like it, you don't feel saved, through faith in Christ, you really, truly are cleansed from your sins as surely as you are outwardly washed with water. Baptism is, the reason the Bible speaks that way is, is, is to, to make that point that it's a sign and the seal of, 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 of baptism. That's why the Bible speaks of it as a washing away of sins. You know, we do the same thing. I, I know this is maybe an outdated, somewhat of an outdated example. We don't use checks very often, but when you give somebody a check and, and the person receives the check, he, he thinks he's got a, say it's a check for $100. He, he says, I've got $100. Well, yeah, he has the check, but he doesn't have the $100 yet. But it's a, it's a sign in the seal of the $100. And if he goes to the bank and he, and he gives it to the bank and he cashes it or he puts it in the bank then the $100 is his. You see, that's what, that's what baptism is saying. 
We have the sign and the seal of salvation, of the washing away of our sins. But we're called then to go to the bank with it, to go to Christ with His promise. Say, Lord, save me. The the divinely affirmed purpose of baptism is not to save us, it's to teach and to assure us of the cleansing we have through faith in Christ. The Lord affirms it. He affirms it, as I mentioned, by showing us through the account of Simon the sorcerer that baptism doesn't save us. We're saved, our sins are washed away only by the blood and spirit of Christ. And yet he tells us that baptism is so closely tied to the washing away of our sins. And by telling us that, he's affirming that the purpose of baptism is to sign and seal that washing away of our sins that we have in Christ through faith in him. Do you see what a great gift baptism is? Let us then make use of it, congregation. All our life long, especially in the time of temptation. It's not that we put our trust in the, in the sacrament, in the water. No, it's that we put our trust in the word that is already revealed, but is, has been attached to our baptism. Let us make use of it all of our life long, especially in the time of temptation and when we see baptism being administered to others. The Westminster Larger Catechism is so helpful here. I'm, not, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it talks about improving our baptism. How do we improve our baptism? And it says it's, um, we don't do that nearly as often as we, as we should. But how do we do it? Well, just to paraphrase, just to bring out a few things, let us be thankful to God. Let us be thankful to God for our baptism and for the great promise that He is attached to it, the washing away of our sins that it signs and seals. Let us heed and submit to its call and encouragement to rest on Christ and on Him alone for all of our salvation. Let us humble ourselves too for all of our sins and our unbelief in spite of our baptism. And let us magnify God for all of His grace and His mercy and His tenderness toward us. And let us use it to grow, use our baptism to grow in humble assurance of our salvation. Yes, let's use it to persevere in faith and in holiness and in love. Also in this new week, let us make use of our baptism. It's the Lord's sign and seal of the washing away of our sins. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, triune God, really, we thank you so much for the gift of baptism to teach us, to help us understand that we are dirty. That's how we are conceived, that's how we are born, that we need to be saved. And to show us the way of salvation is through washing, not the washing of water externally, but that which it signifies, the washing away of our sins by the blood and spirit of Christ. Lord, we pray that we would make much use of our baptism. We would, Lord, even though many of us cannot remember the moment we were baptized, the reality that we were, that, that would, we would use that to help us Believe in in your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would so use that in our hearts and lives to strengthen our faith. And Lord, where, where there is no faith yet, 
and where people have been baptized and yet not have believed, we pray that they would realize what a serious thing it is to neglect the salvation that has been promised. That they would embrace Jesus Christ by faith. We pray that, Lord, for everyone here, for everyone represented here. Lord, may there, may there be, as one has said, no undivided families in heaven. Pray for that. Hear the prayers of parents for baptized children who have gone astray. Hear their cries, Lord. We do pray for your blessing as we go into this new week too, that you would strengthen us and help us for the work and responsibilities we have. We also wish to give thanks, O Lord, for the launch of Safe Families as it has now launched and is beginning the work of of caring for children in need and, and helping families in our community. We pray that you bless that good work and bless all those here involved in that work. We ask this all in Jesus' name and the forgiveness of all our sins for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's sing in praise to God, Psalter 170, 170, all the verses.
doxology is Psalter 408, verse 3. Receive now the blessing of the Lord and go to your homes in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.